Hello, I'm uh, Brad Littlejohn. I'm here with Alistair Roberts, and uh, we wanted to record a series of conversations reflecting on how we as Christians should be navigating the coronavirus pandemic, and uh, perhaps most importantly, um, how we should be navigating the questions of truth and certainty, the questions of authority and obedience, the questions of uh, the church's relationship to society that have been forced on all of us so quickly and so confusingly during this time. So I'm really grateful to have Alistair here to discuss some of these matters with me. Thank you. So the first thing we really need to think about, I guess, is just I mean, what I want to reflect on is the current situation. So we're here we're recording this now on uh, April 16th, and uh, we're, you know, we're a little over about three and a half weeks into, um, you know, kind of stay at home orders being widespread here in the U.S. and similar to you in the U.K. And um, here in the U.S., you know, we Americans are very impatient people. And there seems to be a lot of people who've kind of concluded, OK, well, uh, we did that. We did that whole stay at home thing. So it's time to, you know, get back to work now. Um, and there's even become a sort of widespread um, I mean, I should say, first of all, there's a very understandable concern that's been there since the beginning about how do we handle the trade-offs between, um, you know, trying to restrain the, to slow down the virus and um, without ruining the economy, without causing, you know, suicides to spike, without people um, being thrown into poverty, et cetera. So these are really, it's not, it's not life versus money. It's life versus life, as many have said. Um, but uh, my concern is that, you know, what we've seen is uh, with people getting frustrated about the situation, understandably, it's a frustrating situation. There's been growing angst in, in many churches, I think, perhaps somewhat irresponsibly putting themselves forward as um, to, 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 you know, basically suggest that they're going to begin civil disobedience if these lockdowns aren't, issued, aren't lifted, um, you know, soon. Along those lines, I think there's been um, just an uncertainty. People don't have the information to act on. People have been taken by surprise by the situation that arose very quickly and without the time that they had to prepare. Some people saw this in advance, but most didn't. And so in a very quick period of time, they went from everything being okay, go out, enjoy um, social events, things like that, to being told you need to stay at home. And then lots of confusing messages, for instance, that change positions on um, face masks, on these sorts of issues. Mm -hmm. And there's a situation of distrust that has arisen in response to that, in part because of the speed at which things are happening. It seems unsettling. People are not sure how to respond to that. And so there can be this initial response of panic or resistance, and people go into their instinctual response to issues like this. Sometimes it's people feel that you need to respond to a crisis with courage and staying right. at home does not actually look like courage. It doesn't feel courageous. And also there's this sense that when there's only a few deaths, for instance, within your particular county, the idea that you would close down for that purpose and destroy businesses, livelihoods, and the ability for people to provide for themselves, that can really trigger people's instincts where they have a sense of self-dependence and self-reliance and mm -hmm. the concern about state overreach. And all of these sorts of things are coming into play at a time like this. 
and trying to sift out our reactions to understand why we're reacting in the way that we are, what constitutes a healthy and a reasonable response, and how as Christians we are to um, relate to governments that tell us things that maybe we don't entirely agree with or understand. Those are pressing questions now in a way that they have not been in um, regular, right. ordinary time of and, and and of course, what, you know, part of the problem is we're dealing with a situation uh, that, that really compounds, uh, you, know, you know, two elements that are, I think are, are both difficult and they're compounded on, e- on each other. You know, one is the fact that um, in any situation where you're being called upon to take preemptive action to mitigate against a risk, you run into this, this kind of, you know, catch 22, where if the action is in fact decisively taken, then the problem perhaps never materializes. And it's very difficult, especially when you're having to make major sacrifices, it's very difficult to accept that the sacrifice was in fact successful. It feels as if it was a waste of time. And that we have, you know, this this is a version of, um, you know, what happens when you have to evacuate a, a, you know, a, a, a beachfront community for a hurricane that's coming. And you don't know for sure if the hurricane's gonna hit. And even if the hurricane does hit, then the fact that you evacuate all the people out of harm's way means the death toll will be very low. No, but the, and so, you know, you can have lot, very often public officials come under a lot of fire in the aftermath of these evacuations because, you know, you shut down the beaches on Labor Day weekend or whatever, right? Um, but this one is, is doubly difficult because, of course, at least a hurricane has the, you know, um, is, is, you know, is, is nice enough to, uh, to, to leave some calling cards of, of its presence, whether or not anyone's there, there's still, you know, um, buildings washed away or whatever. So, so you, 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 you know that there was indeed a, g- a genuine threat, but of course with the virus, we're dealing with something that is invisible. And so the, the social distancing measures, um, the, the effectiveness of them can't be seen. And in fact, the more effective they are, unless you're, you know, unless you're sort of a really good at parsing data and able to uh, understand how the, you know, how the curve progressions work, you look at it and it looks as if it's a false alarm. And so I've been, I've been really surprised by how many people here in America have been saying, oh, look, this is obviously a false alarm. Uh, when, you know, uh, others of us are looking around and like and saying, you know, praise God, we took action in time and, and you know, I mean, thousands of, are dying, but, but thankfully not tens of thousands. So it really poses, you know, I think kind of unique epistemic challenges for us in terms of um, how to grapple with a situation in which um, we, we, we cannot see the effects of our own actions. And so we have to take things on trust. And that's happening at a point in history and in a society where public trust is, is at a sort of, I don't know, I don't want to say an all-time low, but, you know, at a historic low. And... Um, yeah. So, what, I think along those lines, it requires to actually perceive what we're dealing with. It requires being able to break down a number of fairly intangible things into numbers and then relate those numbers to actual life. So right. the concept of exponential growth is a very strange one to many people. It's not something that seems intelligible in terms of their everyday experience. To actually understand these sorts of things, you have to have some mathematical instinct. And most people do not have that. Most people have not had even extensive high school training in statistics, let alone university level. And 
that sort of training really is required to understand some of the things that are taking place here, to think about the difference between probability, expectation, to think about probabilistic reasoning more generally, Mm -hmm. how we deal with risk, how we incorporate um, uncertainty into our judgments. And so we're not just acting on the basis of predictions, which I think many people think of these statistics and models in terms of, that someone has made a prediction that, let's say, 2 million people are going to die in the UK if we do not take action. Now, first of all, that's a projection on certain scenarios. It's also a projection that depends upon certain data that's been put in at the beginning. And And just to clarify, wasn't the 2 million is in the US. The UK number was like uh, 800,000 because you've got a lower... Yes, or the, it was 500,000. Um, oh, 500,000, right, 500,000, yeah. yeah. But there have been different numbers right. that have been thrown around, so that's just a... Right. Uh, if we're talking about the imperial um, study, right. that was 2 million in the US. In mm-hmm. the UK, it was 500,000 if there was no action taken. But of course, that same projection model had much lower figures and figures that we've already surpassed um, if action, decisive action were taken at a critical moment. Right. And so these sorts of questions require, first of all, the ability to be conversant with the reading of scientific data, to recognize just how badly scientific data is reported in the press, and how often people misunderstand the most basic concepts that are framing this. It's one of the things that makes that process of communication very difficult, particularly if there's not trust to actually um, allow experts to give counsel in these situations. Yeah. Yeah. So at a later stage, we'll talk more specifically about some of these epistemic issues. Um, But uh, I think that's good for our kind of introductory discussion. I think for our next one, I want to delve into the question that some have raised, which is, does the civil magistrate, does the government have the right, do they have the authority to close churches and businesses in a situation like this? So we'll get to that in our next video.